This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast here on SayTheDamnScore.com or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you happen to be tuning into this podcast. I'm Logan Anderson, as you just heard the big-voiced guy say. And right now, this is the very first podcast recorded from my new home base, ESPN Radio 1570 in Yankton, South Dakota. I'm here with my new boss at... uh, it's weird to call him that, but John Thayer, he is the operations director here at Five Star Communications, and he is also the women's basketball announcer for the University of South Dakota Coyote Women. And John, how are you doing today? I'm good, Logan. Good to have you uh, join us. So we'll start at the, we'll start right there. Is boss or your Majesty, uh, <laughs> Almighty, your Eminence? What what do you prefer? How about it's just coworkers. Overlord. It's just coworkers until <laughs> uh, you do something that we have to address, right? Like, All right. <laughs> Hopefully that's a long time. But right. <laughs> we'll get right into the kind of opening questions that I ask everybody where I just say, how did you get into broadcasting? What was your story and how did you get your first break into the business? And then just kind of give us your story from there. Sure. Uh, I'd say for me it started out um, – like when I was eight years old, I was at a Nebraska football game. I grew up in in Nebraska, and of course, uh, if you grow up in Nebraska, there's a decent chance that you're a Cornhuskers fan. And uh, my aunt at the time worked at the training table at Nebraska, um, and so she dealt dealt with a lot of the athletes. and And I went to a game and listened to the radio broadcast of Kent Pavelka at the time, who was doing Husker football. And uh, I'm sitting in the stands and listening, and uh, there was something about the way that uh, he called a touchdown that was really exciting to me. And uh, I I guess uh, as my mother, my aunt, my grandmother will tell the story that I walked out that day and they asked what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I said, I want to be one of those guys that says he's to the 10, he's to the five touchdown. And uh, so that was kind of uh, where the interest grew. And then from there, you know, kind of like a lot of us, I think you, you start playing PlayStation and, do a little bit of broadcasting to the PlayStation, right? That's where we got good, let's be honest. And uh, then I just went to college and, and tried to get into it. And I went to Doan College in Crete, Nebraska. Not a great uh, college, I wouldn't say, for sports broadcasting. Um, but they had the opportunity to do it. And that was very important. Um, didn't have a professor at the time there who, uh, he was really knowledgeable when it came to radio. Uh, in general, but just as far as like doing sports radio or sports broadcasting, it really wasn't his uh, his thing, you know. And so um, I just kind of did that. I got connected with uh, some great people like Jason Danley, who uh, was was uh, at the time with a Victory Sports Network, eventually turned College Fan Sports Network, uh, and I did a lot of stuff for him as far as just like freelance free stuff, basically. Um, and, and I did a lot of the games for Doan in uh, college and uh, went with a football team wherever they went to, basketball, you know, and got a great experience doing that kind of thing. And so that's really where it got started. And then coming out of college, all of our goal is to get a job, right? It doesn't matter where it is, whatever. And I think when I got done with college, I applied for um, 15 different jobs in 13 different states. Um, and I had a call back from a few of them, and I ended up in Holyoke, Colorado, um, I should say during the time I was in college, I was also doing some, 
uh, work for, for like KUTT in Nebraska and some different radio stations, some freelance stuff. And uh, so I ended up working in Holyoke, Colorado, first job out of college. And, and so that's like the first break, right, uh, when you get that first job. And then it just kind of like slowly built from there. I had the chance to travel the country and cover NAIA sports for the College Fan Sports Network, uh, which was the Victory Sports Network owned by Jason Danley, bought out at the time by Bill Rasmussen, who founded ESPN. Um, and, and we traveled all over the place. And that was just a connection because of the work I had done with Jason. You know, and it just worked out that they needed someone. Uh, he trusted uh, me to take over that role and, and to try to make this big. And we did that for a year and a half, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but then after that, you know, you kind of, I think we all go through the times where it gets difficult in this job where either you lose your job or um, you, you have an opportunity, but it's not exactly um, the opportunity that you wanted and that kind of thing. And I ended up doing radio sales for a while because I needed a job. And uh, the station I work for, KUTT, KWBE, and Quibi and Beatrice um, uh, in the Beatrice in, in Fairbury, Nebraska area. Uh, so I ended up doing sales for them for a while uh, and then finally was able to get back into like a sports director or non air sports role, which obviously is what I was looking for. I ended up in Shadron, Nebraska, had a great time there for seven months, got uh, a call from this Yankton station. Um, had actually turned down the job a couple of times, um, because at the time I didn't, you know, hindsight, this is a great move for me, but at the time I was set on some of the things I was working on out in Shadron and, uh, I ended up here and then a year into, uh, less than a year, six months, seven months, whatever into, uh, being here. Um, the gig opened up for the University of South Dakota women's basketball games, and um, it was right spot, right time for, or right right place, right time for me. And uh, had the connections to be able to get in front of the right people, and uh, fortunately, I've been able to do that for the last few years. So, very even though I tried to turn the job down, I'm really glad looking back now that um, you know I ended up taking this opportunity. So, in a nutshell, I guess that's kind of my story. So I knew a little bit of that. I just wanted to let you tell it because you probably tell it better than I could do. But one of the things I didn't know that collegefans.net that you had worked for was owned by Bill Rasmussen, the founder of ESPN. Did you get to meet him at all or was he just a silent partner? What was he like? No, actually, uh, Bill was a big part of what we did. He showed up at a lot of the games. When we went out to NAIA football games, we tried to create the – ESPN game day atmosphere, okay, but on a much smaller scale because it's NAIA. And Bill was there uh, for for most of the games that we did, and and I had the opportunity to uh, get to know him a little bit, uh, learn a little bit about him, uh, his story, obviously, um, and even some of the games we'd get done. You know, I I can specifically remember in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we got done doing a game and. Uh, that evening after we kind of packed up him and I just walked around the track around the football field and um, we just kind of had a conversation about the broadcast and he you know gave me some pointers and stuff like that for me TV was a new thing and that's really what this stuff was was a essentially a TV broadcast going over the internet and uh, so it was kind of a new thing and so I had a chance to get to know him quite a bit actually and spend a lot of time around Bill. In that collegefans.net, I know traveling all around doing a game of the week for the NAI. The NAI is like the Wild West of college football. I've done that for the last five years. I'm sure you have 
a story or two from your time on the road, broken vans, weird broadcast locations, just specifically to your collegefans.net traveling all around the country, what are some of the places you went and some of the just odd happenings of that particular job? Yeah, we went all over. It was incredible. Um, We did games in, uh, you know, we were based out of Grand Island, Nebraska, and so we did uh, games as close as Hastings, um, and as far away as Azusa, California, and all of this stuff, it's driving too because we drove a um, uh, this this van and it pulled a trailer with all of our equipment, so we had to drive everywhere. And uh, we went to Helena, Montana, Williamsburg, Kentucky, down to Rome, Georgia, where the national championship was for a few years, um, around the Indiana area, you know, and that kind of thing. And of course, made it to Sioux Falls and uh, did a game in Orange City at Northwestern. Uh, in some of those areas as well. And so really covered a big area. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, you go up to like Helena, Montana, where uh, Carroll College at the time was extremely dominant. Uh, during that time, it was either Carroll College or Sioux Falls that was winning the national championship. It seemed like year in and year out. Um, great people up there. Uh, I did the, you know, we they, they have a big crowd there. And one of my favorites was... Uh, um, we were doing this game day atmosphere and we always did our predictions and we had a big crowd around us at this game. And most of them were Carroll college fans. And uh, four of us were on this set and, and three people picked Carroll and I picked the upset that Montana tech uh, that day would knock off Carroll college. And I mean, the booze and stuff, it was just fun to hear all that. And um, you know, eventually I had to go up to the booth and Carroll college won that day um, pretty handily. So I, I didn't quite uh, uh, get that, but um, the coach at the time for Montana Tech was a guy who was um, from Nebraska and went to what was Kearney State at the time and played his college football there, uh, Bob Green. And you may uh, may have heard of Greenisms. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, uh, Google it. It's it's good. Um, he's he's known for just the quirky comments, you know, at the end of uh, dur- during interviews and stuff like that. So. Uh, really cool to see different parts of the country. Uh, Williamsburg, Kentucky had great people. Uh, Rome, Georgia, where the national championship was. We did a regular season game down there. I also did see the national championship one year from down there, but uh, really cool. And, and when you spend that much time on the road with a few people, you know, like you have, um, I don't know, what do we have, five or six people that traveled with us? You, and we're all about the same age. You kind of become like brothers and sisters, so you're protective of those people, but at the same time, you're going to fight with those people at times, right? And you're going to have uh, those type of things come up. But we had some great stories. We went down to the uh, um, down to the uh, Cosida Convention in San Antonio, Texas, um, blew a tire, had one of our guys squat down to look at the tire and rip his uh, shorts, the seat right out of his shorts. Um, <laughs> things like that uh, definitely were memorable from, from that time. Tell us the moonshine story. Moonshine. Uh, we were given moonshine at a uh, um, at, at one of the schools we visited um, in the eastern part of the uh, country, and that moonshine kind of just just was with us, you know, for uh, quite a while. I don't know. We had it for a few weeks, and um, we ended up finally opening it um, the night before a game in Marshall, Missouri, where Missouri Valley. Uh, college is located and they've always been a very good football program pretty consistent uh ranked in the top 25 and 
I can't remember who they were playing, um, but we opened that up the night before. It's Apple Pie Moonshine. Uh, first time I've had that. Uh, and it was good. Last time? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, but it was good. And uh, we ended up going into you know a bar that night. And um, yeah, I don't think you realize how much that stuff hits you until uh, sometimes the next day. <laughs> but it was good. We'll, we'll say that. What about strange broadcast locations? Were you ever set up in... Just a weird view of the stadium. It not this one is not just limited to your college fans' experience. Just kind of anywhere. Yeah, I would say. Uh, let's see. One of them. Uh, I wouldn't say weird view, but uh, when I was in Holyoke, Colorado, we went out and played a playoff game in Hotchkiss, which is on the western slope in Colorado. It was an eight-hour drive. Uh, for a high school football game, which is insane to me. But we go out there, and they just built a brand-new football field. They didn't have a press box or anything like that, so they had scaffolding, <laughs> right? And, and it was a good thing. It was in November uh, or October, um, so it was a good thing it wasn't snowing because that could have been the case. It was a 70-degree day, beautiful, um, and we're doing the game on this scaffolding, and they had a little trap door behind where we stood, right? That's how you got down and stuff. And somebody didn't shut the trap door. And there was one point in the game where I stepped back and half of my foot dropped off into that thing. And I just thought, man, that would have been awful to go tumbling down this scaffolding in the middle of a broadcast. But uh, that was kind of fun. That was different doing it from scaffolding. I mean, I know a lot of people have great stories and stuff like that. Um I know a guy who once did it from, like, the bucket of a tractor, which that's such a Nebraska thing to do. You know what I mean? But just pull up the tractor. Um, a couple years ago in Why Not Nebraska, um, they had enough media covering one of the playoff games that what they did for the two radio stations was they just pulled up a pickup. And so it was uh, Why Not against Fall City Sacred Heart. And so the Fall City station was in one pickup on one side of the field, and we were in a different pickup, the back, just the back of a pickup bed, and uh, had a board laid across it as a table, and had our equipment set on there, and we just stood in the back of this pickup and did the uh, broadcast for a football game, and so that was uh, probably a little bit unique. <laughs> it does sound like it. One of the things you touched on earlier, you went to Shadron, Nebraska, where you worked there for, I think, seven months. And then you were offered the job here in Yankton. You said you turned it down a couple of times. Why? Um, Shadron was a place that I really connected well with, with a lot of people. I enjoyed my time there. I was helping coach a youth baseball team. I was uh, helping with the church youth group and really just enjoyed it. I felt like that was home. And I hadn't been there that long, but that's just the kind of connection I had. I was also at the time hoping that the radio station I worked for could get the rights to Shadron State College because at the time we didn't have it, um, another station did. And uh, uh, so that was kind of our goal. And I was like determined that if I stayed there, we would get the connections and we would get the right uh, pitch to one day get Shadron State Athletics on that station. And, and that was my goal. I mean, my goal, like a lot of people, is to do college athletics and uh, if you could get in at D2, I mean, D2 is a great place to, to stick around. There's a lot of guys that do Division two sports and stay at one school or do one station that does a school for a long time because you just, I mean, it's it's still college sports and it's a lot of fun. So that was, that was the, the reasoning behind it. And it was also like, for me, I was a little bit nervous about leaving a place that I had been just seven months that I really 
uh, respected the owner. I really respected the people I worked for. To leave after a short time, to me, was kind of like, you know, it just didn't feel right. Um, So I really had to sort out pros and cons on what, what the best move was. How did that conversation go with the owner eventually when you had to have it? Yeah, I uh, I just went back to him and I said, you know, I wasn't uh, looking to leave and uh, at all. Um, I had this opportunity presented to me. Um, I've turned it down and the offer keeps getting better. And it just looks like something as far as my career is concerned that maybe I um, want to try to do, you know, and I wanted his response. I wanted to hear what he was going to say. And, and uh, he was calm about it he said you know i uh knew we would lose you eventually but i hoped it wouldn't be this soon was kind of the conversation and so it was very good i I felt like we had a good relationship um that it worked out that way uh it's always a hard conversation to have for anybody when you move on or or leave a job or whatever but um i thought we both were able to handle it well and and that certainly uh you know i appreciate it on my side part of the opportunity to come here to ESPN 1570 in Yankton was that you got the opportunity to kind of dive headfirst into sports talk. You hadn't had, I don't believe any experience up to that point. You had to figure out how to do a show on your own and we'll get to the title of the show in a minute, but first of all, just what was that adjustment? How did you figure out how to do it? Yeah, it was a learn on the fly kind of thing. Really. Uh, It was one of those things where I started at these stations in July early July. That's not a good um, time to start sports talk. <laughs> no. And um, the show was going to debut in August. Um, it was part of, I show up in July, kind of get familiar with the station, get familiar with everything. Uh, and then we start with the uh, the show in, in early August. And uh, so we were able to uh, do that. And for me at the time, it was try to line up the first couple of weeks of it as much as I could. Right. And I knew that the Missouri Valley Football Conference was big, obviously, in this area with USD and SDSU. And so that's where I focused uh, the start of my show on. And um, it was a good time to start because we were just getting into the sports season and there was a lot to talk about. Um, But it was an adjustment when you haven't done it outside of, you know, I did a little bit in college, um, but it's different, you know, than, than it is doing it in college. And so just trying to adjust to um doing a show like that i thought was you know interesting and and uh it it worked out it was a transition but uh i don't know they they still let me do the show today so it's either uh doing okay or it's not bad enough to say you're done (laughs) it may have the best title of any sports show that I've, i've i've heard of on the john with john thayer how did you come up with that and how did you get it approved (laughs) I actually uh, had thought of the name of the show a few years prior to it um, because, and this is, you know, when we, when we get great ideas, where are we at? You're usually either in the bathroom doing something, showering or whatever it may be. And uh, one day I was thinking of this and I thought to myself, man, someday I would like to try the sports talk thing and see if it would work out. And one of my things was if I had like a show in the morning or whatever, there would be a sweet promo that'd be, you know, shower, shave, and you're on the John, right? And, and that was just like, and on the John, where all of our good ideas come from, you know, things like that were uh, coming into my mind. And so I had thought of that uh, a couple of years prior, but obviously at this point hadn't had a chance to use it. And um, 
when I got the chance here, Jeff, the owner, he said, uh, well, we got to come up with a name for it. And I said, all right, well, I've got one. And uh, so I presented on the John with him, and he just kind of sat there and looked at me. And he goes, there's got to be something else that goes with it. And I said, I said, like, what, like what? And he goes, I, I don't know, sports on the John or on the John. Like, I don't know. He was going with it. And he goes, let me think about it for a little bit. And I said, all right, but there's nothing that will work well with it. It's either got to be that or it's got to be a different name. <laughs> and because uh, he had kind of said, I like it. It's catchy, whatever. And um, so he said, let me think on it and, and we'll talk again. I said, all right. So I had left for a couple hours and came back and he said, you're right. There's nothing that that works with it it just it's got to be on its own and and uh so he uh thought it was catchy uh different and uh we decided to uh go with it so how has your show changed from that first august to now uh boy man if i i kind of want to go back and listen i kind of don't you know what i mean (laughs) like i think it's changed just because of the knowledge that i have of the area um the knowledge I've gained with the local high schools and, and more of the USD and SDSU and uh, the Summit League and the Missouri Valley Football Conference and all of that, I feel more, much more informed and able to talk about some of that stuff than maybe I was four years ago when I got started. And so I think with that, I mean, there's always constant changing, but you just find ways like um, you learn when you start doing this that you don't just roll in with a couple of topics in mind and expect to be able to talk for two hours, right? You have to be able to sit down with the topic, kind of branch that out into subtopics, and then make your point using all of that. And and when you do that, it makes a 10-minute segment go really quickly. But uh, sometimes, I mean, two hours can be a long time, especially in the summer when there's not a lot going on. That first couple of shows, did you ever have one where you had to just completely crash and burn and... Uh, I got all my stuff out of the way and it's only been 20 minutes. Did you have kind of a train wreck show when you started that showed you the type of prep that you had to do or were you always pretty well prepared? I think it came early. Um, My first show, the first guest I ever had on this show was Bill Rasmussen, who we talked about, (laughs) founder of ESPN. And I had him on for two segments that spanned like 40 minutes, right? It was great because I covered almost the whole first hour with one guest fantastic and i had been so excited about having bill on my show that i kind of didn't really think about what was going to happen after that and so that was probably that moment where it was like okay we got to be a little more prepared than this you always hear about being prepared and i think we always think we are prepared until you start talking and things aren't written down and for me if i don't write down some certain topics or whatever I'll just simply forget them because I'm thinking about other things or discussing something else. And then I'll get to a moment where I was like, man, I know I had something else. It was going to be good. But <laughs> what was it? You know? And so it's, yeah, I, I, that was a, something I learned early. So now let's get to your most recent responsibility, so to speak. You're the women's basketball voice for USD. When you got here, that wasn't an available opportunity. And I'm not 100% informed on the entire story, but I kind of was under the impression you just kind of stuck your nose into the program and said, hey, let's do this. How did you end up with a D1 responsibility, with a D1 opportunity out of thin air, basically? 
I knew that if I took this job, I was going to be around USD a lot because um, this station's really the only reason I had a job uh, opportunity was because these stations became the flagship of USD. And so when you're the flagship, you're tied into it with a lot of different things and the opportunity to go to events and stuff like that. Um, and so when I got out here and that was the goal was just to kind of be around the USD stuff and just see how it went. Right. And so, uh, we're getting through that first year and I, I go to a bunch of USD football games, the home games. And, uh, I also had started doing a one hour pregame show that was before the pregame show done by Joe Van Gore and Gary Culver, who do the coyote football broadcast. And, uh, that was part of my tie-in, and they sold that. It was just done locally. It wasn't on the network, and it's just on our flagship station. And so I would do that show, and we would do, when they were on the road, we would do the show from a local bar. Uh, and when the team was at home, we would do it from the tailgating setup uh, out in the parking lot and stuff. And so that was really cool. And then I would go into the game and just kind of watch, and I, I'd watch a lot of what Joe and Gary were doing, you know, with the football broadcast. I'd kind of walk around on the sidelines. I did weekly interviews with David Herbster. Uh, at the time, I guess it was uh, David Saylor, who was the athletic director, and then David Herbster, uh, who became the athletic director at USD. And just kept talking to a lot of people, and, and I knew Rod Pattison pretty well. He I got to know him, I should say. He was the guy doing the women's basketball and then um, after that year, he decided that he wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, just with uh, he was getting married and and uh, had had to start that life, you know, and and uh, with jobs like it's it's not a full time job doing women's basketball, and so uh, you have to you get time away and things like that, you know. And so for whatever reason, he decided he wasn't going to do it, and. And uh, I just kind of reached out. I had a good um, relationship with Travis Lee by this point because I had kind of worked as the liaison between our station and the Learfield headquarters and, and the Learfield property with Travis Lee and stuff like that. Um, and so I'd kind of worked in that capacity. And so I just kind of reached out to Travis uh, when I found out that Rod wasn't doing it. And then after that, I called David Herbster, who was the athletic director, and I simply asked him, I said, would you support me trying to get this job to do the women's basketball games? And uh, he said he would. And I called a couple other people, including Joe Van Gore, who's the voice of the Coyotes and stuff like that. And just kind of like built a little uh, what I thought was a nice little circle. And um, then I applied for it, um, got an interview with Travis. He interviewed a couple other people. And I got offered the job, and I think the hardest thing for me on that was this was a long process. Like, it started in April, and I finally did the interview in May, and I was offered the job in early June, um, but was pretty much sworn to secrecy until it was announced by the university. Um, and this is, like, at this point, the coolest thing that's happened in my career, right? <laughs> Division One basketball, women's basketball, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I had worked it out on both ends for that side and for our station because I had responsibilities here, too. And um, so I get offered the job in June. I accept it, uh, and I can't say anything. And there's no idea, no timeline of when this is going to be released, right? And so I had told my family um, because they've always been very supportive of me. And I told a couple of people real close to me outside of that. I didn't say a word. And, uh, most of the people here that I work with didn't even know that that was all going to happen. And it wasn't until August 
uh, I believe, late July or early August that this was actually released. Um, and so then finally I could be excited about it and, and uh, you know, enjoy the, the opportunity I was going to get with, with doing the women's basketball. But it was a long time uh, when you get a job and you can't uh, talk about it for a while. Uh, that, that becomes a long time. You know, when you're the voice of a women's basketball team, you maybe don't have the size of the audience that you'd like to have, but you have about as loyal and committed of an audience as you'll ever get. And kind of a lot of the women's basketball programs feel underrepresented, and you're kind of their outlet. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of loyalty and a lot of good friendships built. What was unique Hopefully I didn't just answer my own question, but that's a sign of a bad interviewer. But I guess just talk a little bit about doing women's basketball. What's rewarding? What's challenging? I think it's uh, uh, challenging because at times it's overshadowed by the men's game. Um, If the men and women are playing at the same time, uh, sometimes it feels like the men's game overshadows a little bit. Um, I think it is rewarding because um, I heard from a lot of parents I've heard from whether it's them talking to me at a home game or um, just from a lot of fans. I hear a lot from about how much they appreciate it, how much they enjoy listening and stuff like that. And probably one of the uh, coolest things was building a friendship or relationship with parents in Australia uh, with Nicole Seacamp and uh, her parents. And they would Facebook message me and, uh, you know, they they would listen every game and um, they would message me as like eight o'clock in the morning in Australia, but they're listening to the game. Right. And they got their coffee and their breakfast and, and they're ready for a little yoke basketball and, and to listen to how Nicole's doing and stuff like that. And, um, I, I got the opportunity to meet them in person a couple of times and that was really cool. And then when Nicole scored, scored her 2000th point and she was given a ball with the 2000 on it and stuff at a home game, I took a picture and then sent it to her mother, you know, through uh, Facebook messenger and stuff like that. And so she thought that was pretty neat, but I th- little things like that are, um, really, really cool. And I'll have the girls tell me sometimes like, their grandparents listen or things like that, or they'll bring up something I said in the broadcast. The grandparents, parents, anybody close to you, they remember every little thing that you might say. And, and like I was like Kate Liveringhouse has one of the coolest hook shots, like that, that baby hooks in the lane, that one game against Vicki McIntyre from Oral Roberts, who went on by the way, to be drafted in the WNBA, who's just a monster, just tall, right? And Kate had her career high against Vicki McIntyre because of the baby hook shot. And I was just going crazy about this hook shot. And so um, Kate's grandparents were listening and they told Kate that I was talking about it. So Kate asked me on the next bus trip, you know, about what I said and that kind of thing. And so I think that's kind of fun about it. Uh, it's it's not men's basketball, which gets a lot of the glory, but um, there is an audience for women's basketball. There is an appreciation, especially in a loyal fan base like USD. And you were able to call a lot of postseason basketball this year as USD won the WNIT tournament. So it's a lot of travel, a lot of tournament. How does your preparation process and the way that you set up for a game differ when you have to do them that rapidly, that much travel in that short of a time? I think the hardest thing about like this year um, with the WNIT, we actually only traveled one time. And that was to Minneapolis. Uh, and that's not a very far drive for us. You know, that's five hours from uh, from here. And so the rest of the games were all at home. 
Uh, so the challenge was not the travel at that time. The challenge was um, how do you prepare for a game where you don't know the opponent because they don't all play on the same night. Uh, first round, it could be some games on Wednesday, some Thursday, some Friday, some Saturday, right? And so if you play on Thursday, which I believe we opened up on a Thursday in this tournament, and the opponent that we would play again, and you didn't know when you were going to play, it was the way the WNIT kind of works is, um, okay, if USD wins and they're going to play the winner of Iowa and Northern Iowa, well, it may determine on which team wins that, on where the game is going to be, and then also on facility availability on where or when the game is going to be. So where and when, you just don't know. And you don't have an indication of, okay, USD just won, but we don't know that we're going to host the next round until another game is completed. Sometimes you'll get an indication, but for the most part, they keep that very close to the vest. And so it's a matter of just kind of following along of that other game, and you kind of learn a little bit about two teams until you know who wins that game, and then you can zero in on, on one game. But it is quick turnaround a lot of times in those tournaments. So you do a lot of different sports at a lot of different levels. Right now you're doing amateur baseball where it's a bunch of ex-high school and college players who don't practice anymore. There's not a lot at stake outside of personal pride, and it's about as low as you can get maybe – it's pretty low level baseball. We'll just call it that. I don't. I don't want to disrespect them, but sure. it's, but then you also do high school in South Dakota and you do Division One. So that's kind of the low, a little bit higher and a little bit higher as far as prestige goes. But how does the preparation process differ at each level as far as available information and the things you're able to do? I think when you prepare for games, you always try to prepare the same way. But like amateur baseball. For the most part, you're not getting stats for that, right? You're not, you're, some teams will give you stats like when you show up for the broadcast, and that's it. So that preparation is just kind of a constant ongoing of how the season is going, you know, for, for different teams and the league as a whole because we cover one league in that um, a game a week. So that preparation is very difficult. Uh, you really roll in with not much information. You can't get much information um you're just going on what you saw week to week right so uh high school sometimes can be very challenging to get information from some high schools are better than others uh but sometimes it's it's hard and then you go like usd and division one women's basketball or men or you know i do sidelines for usd football as well and so uh that's an additional thing in the fall and when you get to the collegiate level um everything's available there's so much information available. You just have to find a way to utilize uh, that information. And whether that's utilize all of it or utilize it at a good time or whatever it may be, um, it's a lot easier, I think, to prepare for that um, than it is some of the lower level stuff because there's just more information available and uh, more people available to you to try to get information. At the high school level, what I've found is that the very first time you ask somebody for something, it's difficult to get. Later on, when they know you're not out to get them, it's it's easier. They're a little bit more open with it, but you have to have that rapport and that relationship. What are the keys to building relationships with coaches in your eyes? I think um, just being honest with them and just being around them a lot. The more that you are around coaches and players and stuff like that, the more comfortable they are 
being around you or, or doing interviews or giving you information and that kind of thing. Like I do when I do that pregame for uh, USD, I do a player interview every week. And some of these guys may not know that I do the sidelines for the football broadcast, and that's fine. But if they see me at practices throughout the week, uh, then they know I'm just not somebody who's just showing up to you know randomly get an interview. They know that I'm obviously there for a reason or a purpose. Um, and so I think just being around it a lot, and I, I think a lot of times uh, for me it's been um, having conversations outside of sports. Um, you know, when I uh, started doing the USD women's basketball, I met with Amy Williams, and I went to Amy and I said, Amy, um, how would you like me to dress for – the radio broadcast and she was kind of taken back by that you know like uh, that's kind of weird she's like i don't care what you wear you know what i mean like just surprised but um i wanted her input because ultimately she is the face of the program or the head coach and in charge of the program and i see myself not as a coach not as a player but just as somebody who represents that team who represents the university when i'm on these trips and so you want to represent it very well and so with a lot of these coaches, I've been able to have conversations with them about their families and just talking about things outside of sports. And it's actually led to being able to ask the questions on, okay, how do you game plan for this team? Or, or um, how did it work out that you got this player when they were getting offers from you know other schools and stuff like that? They'll tell you some of that stuff once they trust you. And gaining trust sometimes can be hard. And when you've already gained that trust, and then you... Your situation, Amy Williams, left to become the head coach at Nebraska. Obviously, nobody faults her for that move, going from the mid-major to the Big 12, or excuse me, Big 10 now. It's always going to be the Big 12 and Big 8 to me. <laughs> but um, going from one relationship and building it again, how challenging was that? Well, I think it's still ongoing uh, for me with Coach Plitzewhite, who is the new head coach. How long did it take you to be able to say that without, without um, pausing? First time. First time I, I I read through the uh, I read through the pronunciation. I asked somebody to say it, and after that, you just realize you just have to say it. Don't look at it. Some of these names don't look at. Just say them. Um, but a lot of people will say Coach P. It's a lot easier than Coach Plitzu White, right? So um, with Coach P, I mean, the first time I met her was at her introductory press conference, and I did a quick interview with her right after that. And I've met her a couple of times since then. I had a chance before they left for Australia uh, to go sit down with her and kind of just kind of just BS with her a little bit and then do an interview. And I thought that was really cool. And so I think that's an ongoing thing, obviously. I haven't traveled with uh, this coach or, or any of these assistant coaches. And you have to learn, you know, as uh, the radio person, you're not one of the uh, prime people on the trips. You know, they include you on everything. But um, – my thought is always never make the bus wait for you, right, or anything. Don't be late. Uh, always be there early. I'm the first one, one of the first people always on the bus, and I'm always one of the last people off of the bus because to me it's like get on the bus uh, and just sit there, and then when they get to a place, if it's a restaurant, a game, whatever, let the team go first, and then you're the last one off. And, you know, some people appreciate that, I think. Um, others are jumpy. They want to get off that bus as quickly as possible and everybody does it their own way. And, and that's fine. Um, but I think, you know, for me, it's going to be just a new season. It's, you have to learn what they like to do on, um, you know, the way they travel and stuff like that. And it probably will be a little bit different, but ultimately don't be late. 
uh, to the bus. Don't make the bus wait on you, and you're probably going to be okay. Do you ever have they ever left you behind? No, I had that happen once. It's just uh, I don't like to talk about myself very much, but that happened actually on <laughs> one of my first road trips. They left me. They realized about twenty minutes down the road that they had left me, and it was in the middle of North Dakota, so I couldn't get in touch of them uh, with the cell phone at that time. But anyway, I think I think the closest that I got, I got left got in Jamestown was just oh nice. Uh, the one of the early uh, broadcasts that I did. Um, you know, you have to realize when you do radio that when a team gets done, they're ready to leave, right? So they're going to shower. Coach comes out for an interview, and you do your post game, but they often go through a different door. They don't come through back through the gym in some of these areas, so they don't see you sitting there. And so you have to make friends with either the one of the assistants or whoever it may be that you can look at and say, hey, I've got, remember, I've got a post-game show. Don't let them leave me. I will be here as quickly as I can. And you learn how to get through your post-game stuff and pack up very quickly. Uh, obviously, the bus a lot of times is waiting for you after a game because you're trying to get through your post-game. and stuff. These girls just go shower quick, throw the sweats on, and they're out, right? You're trying to get everything packed up and done nicely so nothing breaks. And uh, you just... Yeah, yes, that's the only time I think the bus ever waits on me is when we get done with the game. But you just try to get out there in a timely manner, and it'll work. So you mentioned that you asked Coach Williams what you should wear at the press table during games. I don't necessarily care about what her answer was, but what is your philosophy on what you wear during a game broadcast, and how does that change from sport to sport? Um, for like basketball for USD, I've, I've done every game in a suit and tie. Um, and my idea behind that was this is division one athletics and, uh, I'm going to look the part. And I think that's very important. And there's a lot of people in men's basketball who will wear the suit, uh, for a men's basketball broadcast at the D one level, not so many at the women's level. There's some that will. Um, but I also reached out to other people like Matt Cotney at Nebraska and some other people who have done this for a while and, Ask kind of what their thoughts were. And that, that really, everybody has the same answer. Just look good. Be presentable. Wear something. You know, don't don't wear jeans and a polo. Things like that. Especially on your first day at the job, right? There you go. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, um, just look presentable. And to me, I felt like I was, you know, if the coaching staff is all going to dress up, I'm going to dress up as well because I feel like I'm a part of that connection. I'm not a coach. But I'm a part of representing. And if I can represent looking good, that kind of thing, then I'll do that. Uh, high school football broadcast, for the most part, I'll wear um, dress pants and a polo. Um, unless it, it's an extremely hot game, you know, then I'll, I'll make some adjustments there or something. But um, And high school basketball is kind of the same way. I'll wear uh, uh, usually like dress pants and a polo or a quarter zip, that kind of thing. Um, but other people do it differently. A lot of people in high school sports wear jeans and sometimes I'll wear jeans because I haven't done laundry in a while. So <laughs> you just do jeans and a polo and, uh, I don't think that looks bad. Um, as long as it looks good and, and, you know, it's not holes in the jeans, that kind of thing. But, um, for me, when it's like division one, especially with basketball, uh, you're inside, it's, it's not hot outside for the most part. Uh, you can get by in a shirt and tie with a suit shirt and tie. And so that's what I've done. What do you do to get better at sportscasting? Um, I listen to a lot of people. Um, I, I feel fortunate that we have the opportunity to carry uh, Westwood One games 
um, whether it's uh, Monday Night Football, Sunday Night, or whatever. And two of my favorite all-time broadcasters are a part of Westwood One Broadcast. Monday Night Football is done by Kevin Harlan, who I've loved listening to for a long time. And Sunday Night Football is done by Kevin Kugler, who uh, you had uh, as a guest. And uh, he's obviously tremendous at what he does, and he's right now doing the Olympics, right? So why not? Uh, but... Guys like that, even uh, I'll listen to, um, you know, Joe, who does the USD stuff. I'll listen to Tyler, who does the uh, SDSU football and men's basketball. Local people, I'll listen to national people, uh, because I want to know what they're doing. I want to know what sounds good and see if it works for me. Um, Other things, obviously, is going back to listen to your own games. Uh, Sometimes that's rewarding, and sometimes it's frustrating. You go back and you listen, and you're like, wow, that didn't make much sense, you know. And so doing things like that, I think, for me, has been uh, a big part of uh, trying to get better and improve. When's the last time you listened to your college tape or your Holyoke, Colorado tape? Um, And what did you think? Man, I don't think – I haven't listened to anything from my time in Holyoke, I don't think. Um, it's been a while since I listened to anything from the college days. Um, partially be part of it. I want to listen to it because I want to know, I want to know if I've gotten better, but if I haven't gotten better, I don't want to know that. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think you know you've gotten better. (laughs) That would be, uh, awful, but there's one tape I wish I had. The very first broadcast I ever did, um, was basketball donut Hastings. And I took a guy who wrestled in high school as I did we did the broadcast. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, we always said, I always did the play-by-play as I was supposed to. But outside of that, we talked a lot about Thanksgiving dinner because we had no clue what we were doing at the time. And if I had that tape, that would be a fun one to listen to. I just uh, listened to my old one from Morningside when I was in college just because I, I dug it up when I was switching apartments, actually, probably about a year ago. And Oh, man, it was a train wreck. <laughs> and so that's relevant because I was just moving again to come here, uh-huh. and I found my old actual cassette tapes yep. from my first job in Iowa, which I'm hoping are a little bit better than that college tape, but still won't be very good. So. See, that's the problem. All this stuff in college was recorded on cassette tapes. I I got to try to find a cassette player to even try to listen to I just thought the same thing. <laughs> When's the last time you've listened to a cassette player? I have no idea. We used to have a couple in this studio, and uh, there was so much stuff in here that a few years ago, I think it was like a Christmas break or Thanksgiving that I didn't go home for, and I was here kind of main taking care of both stations and stuff, and I just cleaned up. I didn't ask uh, if I could take stuff out of here, but I just stuff that I wasn't using, uh, cassette tape, mini disc, that kind of thing, we just bailed it out of here, and I'm just like, it's out. <laughs> mini disc. Yeah. Oh, man, I remember those for oh, that yeah. hot minute. Who are some of your favorite under-the-radar broadcasters? You said some of your favorite national people. Who are your, some of your favorite local people who you like to listen to in this area that maybe people wouldn't know about outside of this area? I think uh, a couple of them. Uh, Tom Frederick comes to mind. He does uh, the University of Sioux Falls. Uh, he's done them for quite a while. I've always enjoyed listening to Tom. He's very, very knowledgeable. He, he remembers a lot because they've been able to do it for a long time. Right. And so I think he does a tremendous job. Um, another guy here close who has helped me do football with color commentary and stuff. And he does Briar cliff is Gary, uh, Erickson. Uh, and he does a nice Boo, job. Briar <laughs> yeah. Right. But, um, he, he's very good with preparation, I think. And, and I've noticed that with him and I've listened to a few of his games. 
Um, so that's always uh, cool. I think uh, Dave Collins is is very good. Uh, he does Shattern State now, um, and I think he I think last year was his first year, um, and so he'll be going into year two of that. But he's a very good play by play guy, and and uh, I that's just a you know a cool opportunity for him. So I don't know. Those are a few of them. There's there's a bunch though that I like to listen to. Some of these guys, uh, you can you know listen to women's basketball guys or guys at division two or nai level that you could see definitely could have a a future to step up one of the topics i wanted to start asking about on this podcast that has really just come up because of my personal engagement has been looking into how many challenges there's going to be to make a relationship and a, a future marriage work while having my travel schedule and having a sportscaster schedule where you work nights and weekends. What have been, I know you're in a serious relationship, not engaged or married yet, but not to put any pressure on you, (laughs) but I'm sure you get enough of that from outside sources. But what are the biggest challenges about making a relationship work with a sportscasting job, and how have you solved them? I think, uh, you know, it's it's an ongoing challenge in that, um, you know, if you're gone a lot, like there's a lot of times where I'm doing – a USD game, and I'll come back and do a high school game, okay, during the basketball season. Basketball is extremely challenging for me personally. Football, a lot of times I'll do a Yankton game on a Friday night, get in the car, drive to the USD game, wherever it may be on Saturday, do that one, come back, sometimes doing PA announcing for USD soccer on Sunday and stuff like that. So I think for me it's been um, you try to do the best with um, time management when you are around. Like if I can do my prep and be smarter during work hours and give some of those nights to a relationship or whatever it may be rather than working every night. Because when you're a single guy and you you probably went through this too, like I'm a big time procrastinator. All right. And I would just slack off during the day and I would get most of my work done late at night because that's when I felt like I did my best work for whatever reason. Uh, and I've really tried to change that, you know, just try to. Uh, be more efficient with the work that I do. And then um, you have to plan. Planning for me has been really hard. I'm not a very good planner um, when it comes to just, you know, planning a month down the road or two months or whatever it may be. I'm just kind of like, uh, here's what I'm doing this week. And this is what I want to attack, you know, and you have to get better at planning and, and finding those times, those opportunities where there's not a game to be able to, uh, you know, do something else. How would somebody reach out to you if they wanted to get in touch with you? Uh, you can always reach out on uh, Twitter. John C. Thayer is my Twitter uh, handle. Or uh, shoot me an email. It's John Thayer, the number one, at gmail.com. Um, I have a blog and do all that stuff, but I'm not very good at the blogging thing. I'm trying to get better. But uh, those are ways to reach out and certainly always interested in hearing from people and, uh, and uh, you know offering any advice or whatever I can. Well, thanks for joining us here. Again, we're talking to the voice of the USD Coyotes, my new co-worker. And this is the very first podcast that has been done live with both people in studio instead of on the phone or over some other sort of of communication. But anyway, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Logan, thanks for having me. Uh, always uh, appreciate the conversation with you. Looking forward to working with you a little bit more. And uh, obviously, we've known each other for a while. So uh, looking forward to uh, working with you and, and uh, seeing how things go here. 
All right. Well, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. You can follow it on the link at the top right of SayTheDamnScore.com. And, of course, follow me on Twitter, Radio underscore Logan. Or you can follow on Facebook.com slash SayTheDamnScore. So thanks for tuning in. I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, remember to say the damn score.